I don't like the way emotions make me feel. (laughs) (laughs) And I so relate to that. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 95. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Choi. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in week four here in our cross-training series that we're doing, looking at these four dimensions of discipleship. And the fourth one that we're coming to on this episode is community. This may be one of the more neglected aspects, but something that we should definitely be focused on. It was interesting offline, you and I were talking this week. We were talking about personality tests. So I finally decided to pull the trigger and take a personality test again. And all the questions that it asked you, every time it got to ones that were like, after a hard day of work, do you want to go to a party around a whole bunch of other people? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end of it, it told me that I was an introvert, which is kind of a, you know, hello, my name is Brian. I'm a recovering extrovert, now introvert. <laughs> and yeah. it's interesting having come off of that conversation and, and taking that test, now thinking about community. I think I'm going to have a little bit of uphill work to do as part of this episode. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff here that's going to step on my toes. Thinking about <laughs> truth and heart and action, those all made a lot of sense. But now, as Jesus shapes all of our relationships, the introvert in me is going to be fighting back, I think. <laughs> yeah. Is there a grumpy old man personality type? Because that's what I think both of us kind of you start, to, <laughs> you start to just, how, how can I embrace the hermit lifestyle? And that, <laughs> that doesn't always go well with our calling to build up one another and reach out to, to others in the name of Christ. That is true. So let's get into our first segment here, looking at Jesus in a story. And this segment is called Like the Teacher. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. There's a story here in which Jesus shows us what it's all about to be a part of a community. Yeah, this is in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. And Jesus is walking from town to town. And as he's going through, he passes this guy, Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. Mm -hmm. He's a Jew collecting taxes for the Romans bad guy. You know, this is the epitome of a villain. What a traitor. You're sitting with those guys and they're also known for living it up, taking more than they should. Just kind of a rotten lot of people in the eyes of the Jews. He was obviously over there twirling his mustache the whole time. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so Jesus is passing him and he says to him as he sits there in his tax booth, two words, follow me. Those are powerful words. It seems that those words, those two words, have summoned fishermen, have summoned people from all walks of life, and they summon Matthew. And he gets up and evidently just leaves his tax booth and follows Jesus. And he invites Jesus over. He has sort of a banquet and a lot of other tax collectors, other sinners, people known for their immoral lifestyle, probably, came and were sitting with Jesus. And of course, the Pharisees who took the law of God very seriously, but also have some other problems that Jesus points out. They saw this and they say to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears it. He hears what they're talking about and beautiful response from the Lord. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician 
but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes from the prophets, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what does that story mean to you? And what do you, what jumps out at you from that? I don't know. It's hard for me not to think of the phrase, come as you are. And mm, Nirvana. <laughs> that too. We have this sign out in front of our building and it says, all are welcome. And honestly, I hope I mean that, not just at the building, but I hope I mean that in all ways that I connect with people, no matter where I am. You know, whether I'm at the church building or whether I'm just out and about at the grocery store, at work, wherever I am, that all are welcome. Because that's what we see with Jesus here. He's not making them feel bad. He's not expecting anything from these people other than just to be with him at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't get after them. He doesn't push them away or make fun of them or make them feel unwelcome. He does what no other rabbi would be willing to do, kind of like the foot washing that we talked about last week. But he does this act, this simple act of just sitting and being with them at dinner. And he's getting to work in their messy lives. And I think that's a theme that we'll keep talking about here on the episode, that being with people is messy because you have to deal with their problems. You have to deal with all their issues. And I think that's why it's made very clear here that these are tax collectors and sinners. I don't know what their sin was. I don't know what kind of people they were, but they were definitely not the kind of people that you would expect the son of God to be around. But here he is at the table. He's just opening himself up to them. And I don't know, for me, I've always been somebody who just doesn't question why somebody comes maybe to visit our congregation or why somebody has stumbled across our YouTube and are watching our videos or I don't know why, why somebody even would listen to this podcast. Like, I don't care why you're here. I'm just happy that you're here. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. Honestly, just the fact that you're here and that you're allowing us to be a part of your life in some small way is meaningful and it is important to me. And I think Jesus saw that connection here. And obviously, yes, of course, the caveats and asterisks that we have to add here are that Jesus didn't want them to stay sinners. He didn't want them to remain in that condition, just like a doctor doesn't want somebody to remain in a, in a sick condition. But right. this connection that he's making with them is for their good and to change them into who he wants them to be eventually. I liked that parallel to a doctor wanting them to become well and that that's why Jesus is mingling with them yeah. while the Pharisees, which means separate ones, want to stay away from them. And I did a lesson a while back, maybe a couple years ago, where I talked about it would have been even more meaningful in our current COVID climate, but it was about <laughs> spreading Jesus' disease, basically, how how he would spread holiness and where uncleanness might have been thought to be contagious. Mm -hmm. And the book of Leviticus kind of talks about it like that. Jesus comes and spreads his holiness. He's inoculating people. He's giving people their vaccinations. <laughs> but just being with him, he's spreading the cure. And that, that's a powerful way to kind of view what then Jesus does to us. And then what we, as we go out into the world, can do to others is we're carrying we're carrying the cure with us and it's contagious, too. And so we need to be with people. And 
that goes in a way with something I was thinking about with this story. Last night, we opened a Bible class with the question, what one piece of knowledge do you yearn to share with people? We've been studying through the characteristics, the virtues of Second Peter 1, 5 through 7, and we talked about knowledge. And it was an interesting discussion as we move beyond the basics of the gospel, where we want to certainly let people know about who Jesus is and what he's done and that kind of thing. But one sister said she wants to let people know that God is willing to forgive all sin. That's deep. Yeah. So we talked about how some of the non-Christians that we've spoken to, people I've talked to, said that they couldn't become a Christian because they've done so much they know God couldn't save them. I know I'm going to hell. And they just just had accepted that and couldn't be talked out of that, no matter how you show them <laughs> the work that Jesus wants to do. And we talked about believers even who struggle for decades. And I've talked to many people. I mean, I've had at different times in my life, my own struggles with doubts that God could really have enough grace for their awfulness. And we just have such a, a view of, of ourselves. And when we see our sin, we just think, how could God have enough grace to accept me? And I love your statement of Jesus welcoming and how we should welcome people. So Matthew is this guy that's this problem, right? He's not a good guy. This doesn't justify who he was before. And we might not have the same view of or understanding of what a tax collector and a sinner is. But everybody that Matthew, as he wrote this, was writing to knew about his past life and the kind of person he was. But as a sinner, he is the rule not the exception among Jesus' followers. Jesus isn't out there eating with those who knew the Bible best, tried the hardest to follow it. He's eating with those who were known to openly disregard it, at least before that day. And why was he doing that? Because that was his mission. <laughs> Jesus gives the mission statement, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of how that's the opposite of the Marines slogan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Marines are looking for a few good men. Jesus' tagline is, I'm looking for all the sinners. <laughs> Everybody that's not a good man or woman, that's who I need. That's yeah. who I'm bringing. So if you feel like you're the furthest from the righteous people that you think of or the people that you see who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, still imperfect, but who have come to live a different way. Well, congratulations. If you think of yourself as a sinner, you're qualified to become a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and like you say, we don't stay that way, but you're at the perfect place to hitch your wagon to him right now. If you're ready to give everything that's required of you to choose to from this day forward, say I'm with Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to try to follow him and trust in him. There's something to be said about how Jesus reaches out to people who are disgraced, mm. kind of looked down on in society. I mean, the fact that he himself was disgraced and looked down on, you can see why he connects to these people so deeply and has so much mercy and concern and compassion for them. But kind of like we talked about last week, Getting down on his knees, washing the disciples' feet was such a powerful lesson for them. But I think this is also, not only is this helpful for the people who he's eating with, these tax collectors and sinners, but it's also, whether they know it or not, it's helpful for these Pharisees to see that this is what a real 
true servant of God does. He sits down at the table and he serves whoever he can, not just the elite, quote unquote, churched people that we often are looking for in our evangelism. We're looking for everybody. Yeah, I I think that's really well said. We're looking for everybody to connect with as many people as we can. And we just have to gear up and be ready with, to use the word you used earlier, the messiness that comes with that. (laughs) There was a quote from that old show, John and Kate Plus Eight, where the dad on that said, I don't like the way emotions make me feel. (laughs) (laughs) And I so relate to that. And dealing with people, there's all kinds of things that you have to deal with. You have to deal with your emotions and their emotions, your sins and their sins, your problems, their problems. And these are usually patterns and deep set issues that even if it's just a money issue, money issues often are bigger than just, okay, I'll write a check and now that problem is solved. I mean, every aspect of being invested in people and available to people, interruptible to use the words we used last time, (laughs) uh, really do get to be challenging and we have to kind of be ready to care and to be active. And man, that's an ongoing growth process for me to be ready and in it like that. For sure. And speaking of challenging, let's get into our second segment on the episode. And that is through the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So here we are with five challenges this week, as we've done for the last few weeks. And each of these challenges really geared toward this one topic of community. And so let's kick this thing off with the first challenge, which is a reading challenge. Yeah, so we're challenging ourselves and you all to read Matthew 9, 9 to 13, which is what we just talked about, and verses 35 to 38 of Matthew 9, and then Luke 10, 30 to 37, which is the Good Samaritan, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, Romans 15, 2 through 7, and 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 16. And you can find all of these in the show notes as well. But while some of these are about our relationships with other believers, some of them are about relationships with those outside the church, all of these have this picture of reaching out and connecting and investing ourselves. And you used a word earlier about welcoming people. And our reading in Romans 15 here, verse 7, is about welcoming people. And it says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So it's a picture of the hospitality of Christ, which I think we see in the story we just talked about, even though it wasn't his house that he was welcoming people into, he was welcoming people to himself, which is really the essence of hospitality is opening yourself and being willing to let people in. Yeah. One of our members recommended a book to me that I've just started that's it's pretty good so far. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Ooh. And it's all about our responsibility to be hospitable and how that creates an opportunity to connect with those within and without the brotherhood. So, yeah, I think that's a helpful picture that comes from this week's readings is the idea of welcoming one another. But as we go into the next challenge, reflecting, what do you take from this thought question that we're proposing? Yeah, so the question is, what can I do to build more meaningful relationships? 
your answer is going to be your own personal answer. Your mileage may vary whenever you get to these reflection <laughs> questions for sure. But I think for me, you know, I've learned a lot by watching people who are good at connecting with others. I'm not the best at connecting with people, but I use my eyeballs and I look around and watch people who are really good at this. And I think the big strength that they have and that I lack more often than I'd like to admit is curiosity. And I'm curious about some things, but letting curiosity get you to the point where you ask questions, where you get really good at listening to somebody, where you give somebody your time. And like you said before, you know, we have this margin and this availability to people where we open up and give them the space and the time to be able to talk to us, to be genuinely curious about what somebody is going through, where they are in their life, where they came from. And I could do better at this, but it's kind of like how Paul I think, connected with those people in Athens by poking around and finding that altar to an unknown God. He was thoughtfully and respectfully poking around in people's lives. And that's something I can be doing. I can be building more meaningful relationships by asking the deeper questions, the more difficult questions. Sometimes we become uncomfortable with the fact that we don't know something. It's like, it's always okay to ask, I think. And I'm, yeah. I'm telling myself that more than anything, I think. <laughs> Get out there, introvert, and thoughtfully and respectfully poke around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so continuing on, though, what do we do next, I guess, on the, the third challenge here? Third challenge is a prayer that we're suggesting. Lord, show me where I can serve and support others today. And praying for opportunities to serve and encourage people is dangerous because yes, is. God might answer our prayers, <laughs> which is kind of the point of the prayer is show me where. And whenever we pray these things, I just think we need to be ready to get our shoes and coat because there's always someone who can use a friend, use a hand. If we're paying attention, we're going to find an opportunity to be a servant. So I, th I think it's a really helpful prayer. Yeah, it's like praying for patience, right? Yeah, watch out. Yeah, exactly. All right. So the, the fourth challenge here is to respond, and this is to take action on this topic of community. And it's to give an encouraging text, card, or call to someone that you think might need it today. It was kind of interesting back in 2020, almost exactly a year ago, Sherilyn and I sat down and we made a list of all the people we could think of about people we could invite over for lunch. Just people who throughout the year we were going to schedule and have them come over and just get to know them better. And we, we hosted a few people for a little while, and then obviously everything blew up. And we just, <laughs> we're not able to do that anymore. I think that's something that we can continue to do in a more socially distanced way. I know I was, I was talking to a brother uh, just last night at worship, and we were standing pretty far away from each other and kind of shouting at each other. But I haven't had such a good conversation with that particular person in quite a while. And it felt good just to connect. And we can do that just by giving people a call. I mean, we've got all kinds of technology now that we never had before, but yeah, I think this is a good thing we can take action with just reaching out and touching somebody. We've found that getting our kids involved in this, oh, yeah. in FaceTiming, Skyping, whatever, finding ways to call or even just calling is really encouraging because especially older folks really love talking to kids that are cute and have interesting things to say. And we found it a good way to <laughs> always interesting <laughs> what they have to say. You never know what you're going to talk about. No, not at all. We found it a good way to, um, you know, kind of teach our kids how to talk to people that they haven't talked to before. So that's a really good point. That's another good way to, to do it. But going on to our final challenge of the week is, if you're looking for a topic of conversation, to ask someone 
a question that we're proposing to reach out and build community and dive into these kind of better discussions. And this is a particular question for other Christians. And the question is, what approaches have you found most effective in teaching an unbeliever about Jesus? So we'll just jump right into talking about that here. Brian, what have you found effective in teaching an unbeliever? I don't particularly know a great answer to this other than to say that if I don't let my passion for the Bible show, I just don't get interested in those conversations like I need to be. And I think the more I've had those conversations with people talking to them about the gospel, talking to them about anything that has to do with their questions and the issues that they're dealing with, I just have to get passionate about what I'm reading. And all the times that I've done that, I think have been productive and successful, even if that person didn't give themselves to be baptized. I mean, I'm not worried about that part of it. That's that's God's job. He he provides the increase. I just plant the seed. But I think the times where you can show your passion, show your excitement for the Bible, show how complex it really is, but how profoundly simple it is, and just the well and the endless depth to God's word that you can continue to go to with every question you have and every issue that's going on in your life. And when I can walk away from those conversations, having shared how amazing the Bible is and how much I value it in my own life, I think those are times well spent in talking to people. I love that answer. Yeah, the the passion aspect of it, because you can get so stuck in trying to have the right answer that you forget to speak from your heart. I just think that asking pointed but open-ended spiritual questions is really important and helpful and can lead to good discussions. And then being willing to invite people or ask people if they would be interested in studying with you, in Mm -hmm. praying with you, in reading through a book of the Bible with you, just asking. And if they say no, it's okay. And then being ready whenever they do know what they need to know to ask the big question, the big glowing moment of truth question, (laughs) like, do you want to be baptized into Christ? Are you ready to confess the Lord? Are you ready to be a Christian? You know, do you want to follow this one that we've been reading about? All right. So let's get into our third segment here. And that's a segment that we call Heavy Words. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? So here we're talking about community building, but we're going to use a few words here that we find throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, these words that help us understand how to relate to each other. And there's a lot of conversations in the New Testament all about how we relate to each other and the kinds of ways we treat each other. And so what's a word that you've come across that kind of stands out in relating to people? I chose for my first word, honor. What attitude, other than love, forms a baseline for the way we treat every single person? And Peter gives us two words that I think every Christian needs to hear repeatedly, myself very much included. <laughs> he said, honor everyone. I think that's that's a big commandment in it's big. two words. First Peter 2 verse 17, honor everyone, period, love the brotherhood, period, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so this word for honor means to attribute high status to someone by honoring, to show respect, to give recognition, and it often implies action to show that honor. 
So this same word is used to describe the way children should treat their parents. Honor your father and mother, Matthew 15, 4, Ephesians 6, 2. Of course, going back to the Ten Commandments, it's the word for how we properly honor the father and son. God, the father and son. John 5, 23 says to honor Jesus, the son and honor the father. And this is the word used to describe how we treat everyone, how we treat our worst enemy, how we treat someone that maybe we think of as not earning our respect. And if we add honor to our agape love out of reverence for Christ, it's going to change the dynamic of all of our relationships. Even if someone is acting spitefully towards us, we can show them that we think they have value in the eyes of God. I think that's the power here in just removing that person out of the equation and just realizing that God loves that person enough to send Jesus to die for them. And if he did that for them, then what am I supposed to do for them? I'm supposed to honor them as somebody who Jesus died for, just like he died for me. And that puts that puts us all in the same playing field. So I love that. I think honor is a big one, although very hard to do. Sometimes it's 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 easier than others. Yeah. So what's your first word? Yeah, okay. So mercy is my first word, Elios, and we find this word in James chapter 2. James is just such a great place to go when talking about community, especially chapter 2. James has a lot to say on the topic of how we treat other people, but this word is all about kindness and concern for people who are in great need and thinking about Obviously, the Good Samaritan here, which is one of our readings this week, the Good Samaritan who showed mercy to that man who was beaten down beside the road. Who should have showed mercy? It should have been the religious leaders that both passed by. But here it is, this Samaritan who the Jews just couldn't stand, and he's out there showing mercy. But it's a reflection of God's great mercy toward us, taking that mercy that he's shown us, reflecting that into the world. It's absent, though. Mercy just totally breaks down when we show partiality and favoritism, which is exactly what James is dealing with in James chapter 2. When we ignore those who we don't find to be quote-unquote worthy, they come into our assembly in the example that he gives there, and, and they're not wearing the fancy clothes, and they're not dressed the way we would think. So we ignore them, and we pay more attention to the person who's dressed nicely, who is sort of the comfortable person to be around. James, kind of as the conclusion of all of that, says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, if we want to play favorites, then God is not going to show us mercy. And that's a scary thought, really. Yeah. If I'm not showing mercy to other people, then he's not going to show me mercy. And it reminds me of what Jesus tells the Pharisees about when they question his dinner companions. Basically, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is a throwback to Hosea 6, verse 6, where Hosea says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, which I guess is the same meaning here. Maybe a different way of putting mercy is just steadfast, undying, absolute love. I mentioned briefly in passing the Good Samaritan, and that is all about mercy to me. I mean, the question that he's answering is who, how do you love your neighbor and who is your neighbor? But as the Samaritan is passing the guy, he has compassion on him. And then Jesus asks who will prove to be a neighbor. And the answer is the one who showed him mercy. So it's an active compassion that results in showing mercy. All right. So we have honor, mercy. What else? I chose for my second word, gentleness. And (laughs) 
This is the Greek word proutes. It's translated meekness sometimes. We actually did an episode on this word, the fighter jets of gentleness or something like that. It's episode <laughs> 10. We'll link to it. That was a long time ago. It was a lot. We were just talking about it was like two years ago. Almost. Yeah. Almost to the day that we did our first episode, and that was in our first major series that we did on the fruit of the Spirit. So you can hear more about gentleness and this word there. But Jesus uses this word to describe himself in his wonderful, famous invitation. Come to me, all you who labor, I am meek and lowly in heart. And it's one of the clearest markers of a disciple growing into his image, in my mind anyways, because I think it's so rarely seen outside the body of Christ. It's just not a tone that you really see. It doesn't, you go on social media, you're not going to see a lot of gentleness. You turn on the news, you're not going to see a lot of gentleness. <laughs> you watch actors in a movie or a show, you just don't see a lot of gentleness. And Have you ever and, seen a Hallmark movie? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll see some, yeah, I've, boy, have I watched my share of Hallmark <laughs> movies this December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe you'll see a little gentleness, but sadly, I don't think that all believers seem to even make an effort to speak and act with this virtue. And certainly it's something all of us have to watch, but it takes effort, and we need to know we are commanded to have gentleness. We're commanded to have gentleness toward other believers and toward non-believers. So in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, yeah. with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we, how do we create, how do we maintain the bond of peace through humility and gentleness, but also in the way we answer unbelievers whenever they ask us about the hope within us, we give a defense, yet we do it, 1 Peter 3, 14 to 16, with gentleness and respect. Yeah. I think we think of, we hear gentleness and we think, oh, that means talking in a soft, lilting <laughs> tone, and it's really not about that, though certainly tone of voice matters, Sure, but it's about the inner strength to keep our emotions, our opinions, our desires under the controlling influence of Christ. When we relate to others in obedience to Christ, thinking back to our study of this word, we might think of a mighty war horse who remains under the control of a soldier. That is the word that's used to describe that proutes, gentleness, when we are under Christ's control, we have that strength under his restraining influence, we are speaking and acting with meekness. And so we, we just have to change not only our tone, but change our goals and then change our whole approach to relating to people so that we are trying to accomplish Christ's goals and not whatever else we might want to accomplish. Yeah, like you said, it's not that you're just a pushover. Yeah. Your spirit is directed by the thought about somebody else's life and bringing them to know the Lord and being filled with the goodness of God and speaking as if he were speaking through you. And is the more you think about taking yourself out of the equation, the more you realize that gentleness is absolutely a fundamental part of that because 
you're not going to go around poking people in the eye and trying to hurt people's feelings if you're acting according to the Lord's will. Well, I believe what we will be doing, if I remember something you said earlier, is poking around thoughtfully and respectfully. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into the last one here. And that's unity. If there's anything that we could be looking for in building community, in trying to relate to our brothers and sisters in the church, it is absolutely unity. And it's such a small word, but it's really hard to accomplish. If the examples of so many churches throughout the entire world are to be believed, it's impossible to accomplish. I don't think so. I think unity is possible. And there's a reason that we can accomplish unity. But again, it's going to take humility It's going to take us taking ourselves out of the equation. But it's about being like-minded and harmonious in agreement, which seems like the exact opposite of everything you see everywhere. Like, nobody is in agreement. Nobody is harmonious. Nobody is like-minded. But like you said, with gentleness, that is exactly what people should see in the church. And when they see that, they should see something totally different, totally uncharacteristic of everything they've ever seen before. They should see a bunch of different people from different backgrounds, blue collar, white collar, male, female, everywhere from all nations, they should see them united. And that is powerful. It's not about us versus anyone. It's about the Lord working in us all collectively together for his purposes and his goals. And we can accomplish so much if we just let the Lord direct us and get out of the way. Yeah, that's why the metaphor Paul uses of the body is such a perfect picture because it emphasizes our diversity and our differences while also emphasizing our oneness under the headship of Christ and how each person needs to bring those differences to bear on building all the other parts up. And if we're all doing that under, as you say, the headship under the leadership of Christ, if our body's central nervous system is working correctly (laughs) so that our true head is directing everything, then it will ultimately result in a different kind of oneness than we see anywhere else. Yeah. And on this whole topic of community, we're not united with the world. I mean, Paul even talks about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So we're not we're not talking about building unity with everyone. But at least with the Lord's people, it should be obvious that the Lord's people are united. And when somebody comes into a relationship with the Lord from the world, then they can be part of that unity as well. Absolutely. Like you say, we can't have perfect unity with everything that's going on outside of the church. But we are told to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, 17 and 18. So where we can, we are peacemakers. We make peace by pointing people to Christ, but also we're trying to live in the best way we can to create a a kind of blessing on anyone we we can come in contact with. All right. So what are we going to be talking about next week? I guess now that we are done with these dimensions of discipleship here, truth, heart, action, and community, where are we going next? Yeah, we're going to be getting into a particular mark of the master, as we've called them. And the first one, very foundational in any study of being Christ's disciple, is faith. So the next four weeks will be all about faith and the various facets of that, like belief, which is what we'll be in next episode, and trust, 
and loyalty and, and other aspects of faith. So next week, we'll be thinking about that truth dimension, I guess you could say, of faith, which has to do with letting truth direct our beliefs and how we look at the world. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 95. And if you want to get in touch with us, we have a contact form on our webpage. Just go there, reach out, let us know what you want to hear about, or you can talk to us on social media. We're all over the place, Facebook, Instagram. I think we're even on Twitter. Hey, who knew? And uh, <laughs> if you have a friend who hasn't heard about the show, why don't you let them know? Say, hey, we're starting this series on cross-training, on discipleship. Maybe you should check this out too. We'd really appreciate the recommendation. Do we take reviews? If anybody wanted to give us a five-star review, or four, or three. <laughs> anyway, if we wanted to get a review on the Apple Podcasts, I don't know. That'd be helpful too, right? You could also do that. And we won't even twist your arm into saying that you have to give us a five-star review. So whatever. (laughs) Until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.